0: My name is Nathan Forster, and this is Deeper and Wider, a show where we meet at the crossroads of Christian faith and all of life, from the small to the big, from the mundane to the profound, where we learn people's stories and their specialities, have conversations, and offer perspectives, all of which are shaped and animated by Jesus, his way of life, and the kingdom he came to bring. This show will be a resource for people who deep down in their bones think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we have put it in. A kingdom that can permeate all of existence if we allow it to. So welcome to Deeper and Wider. Well, welcome to this episode of Deeper and Wider, a, another impromptu episode it is not part of an official season or a new official launch or relaunch, I should say, of this show. It's another impromptu one, and I thought I would share this particular sermon I gave once again at my old church, Sanctuary Church. Shout out to the former senior pastor there, Tyra Conrad, who trusted me to do two sermons in a row, <laughs> one an Easter sermon. And then the following week, uh, the sermon straight after Easter, which was an absolute honor and a privilege. And so this is a message that I gave in 2019, the week after the Easter message that I gave, which is also on this show in the episode prior to this one. Basically, the underlying premise of this sermon and my deeply held conviction was this and still is this, and that is that Easter isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose again from the dead. But rather, it has ushered a new reality that we then trust into and lean into and as such live a new life. So hopefully, as we've now come out of Holy Week, as we've now come out of what was then Resurrection Sunday, we now enter into this Easter tide, as it's often called, this Easter season. And as such, reminding people that in a strange and peculiar way, it is still Easter. Enjoy. Awesome. Hello, everybody. Morning. Yes, thank you. I got a hello. That's great. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I'm just going to really... I get really thirsty when I preach, so I definitely need my water. So, I don't often do this. I know Tash is going to appreciate this. So, there's a bit of an inside joke there. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say neighbor. Oh neighbor. Please give me some Easter eggs because it's technically still Easter. Yes, fun fact. Fun fact. So, believe it or not, um, within kind of the, the global church calendar, Easter is something that actually continues for 50 days. So what I'm saying is this, anytime you see me, please give me some Easter eggs because that would be absolutely wonderful. <laughs> they do, they have it wrong. They do indeed. <laughs> Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that you have that in your son you have Died and risen again from the dead, Lord. And that we continue the celebration of Easter, and I pray that right now, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit will move would move in our midst, Lord, and bring transformation today. In Jesus' name, Amen. So yes, it is still. Easter, that is actually something that is still going on for the next 50 days as we lead into, I think, Pentecost is the next uh, major day. I think that's what it is. So Easter is a time for celebrating that Jesus has overcome the grave, which is awesome, which is amazing. The implication, though, isn't just that we're sharing a nice doctrine or we're just repeating that same belief over and over again, rather embodied in the resurrection of Jesus, is it's God's dream for this world. A world where one day death will truly be no more, where violence and greed will cease, where all will be fed and looked after, where swords, as it says in Isaiah, will be bent down into plowshares, A world where healing justice will right all wrongs. Where all that defaces God's good creation are done away with. Where all that brings grief, stricken tears, are instead replaced with tears of joy. A world where God, who is love, is all in all. That is what is embodied In Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection, if you like, is a double declaration. On one hand, it's a sign that with the defeat of death found in Jesus, that God's future world has broken into the present. Because if God's future is a restored non-death world, a non-corrupted by death world, then we see in Jesus a non-corrupted by death Jesus, a resurrected Jesus. Jesus didn't just rise again and die later. No, Jesus has risen again and is still alive today. This is a sign, the vast sign of God's future world. In other words, when you look at Jesus, you're looking into The future. So it's God's future rushing into the present in the person of Jesus, which by the way, gives us the confidence and the sure and certain hope that because Jesus lives again, so shall we one day. On the other hand, Jesus' victory over death is that it's also that the victory of Jesus over death is emerging in that very present moment when Jesus resurrected again. And so Jesus' present victory over death then rushes out of the person of Jesus as he comes out of the tomb and ripples throughout history. In other words, it isn't just that there's a future world. I mean, that's true. But that also, out of the tomb of Jesus, Jesus brings that world. He bursts forth with him. What's called new creation. Last week, I mentioned that, that saying that it's in John's gospel. It says, on the first day of the week, which was the gospel writer John's wink and nudge way of saying that just as in Genesis God created, so in Jesus God is making a new creation. And so, out of the tomb of Jesus, he brings new creation. And that is rippling through history by the power of the Holy Spirit in anticipation to when Jesus appears again to implement in full force the victory that was already achieved 2,000 years ago. And we can see the signs, the rippling of that victory weaving through history. And whilst We have gotten a lot of things wrong along the way within church history and Christian history. I will also say that there are things that we've also got right. The concept of humility, believe it or not, emerged out of the Christian faith. Humility was not a virtue in the first century. It was a virtue that developed post the resurrection of Jesus. That's just one example. Hospitals and education for all were Christian inventions. The concept of universal human rights emerged out of the Christian story and great movements such as the civil rights movements in America, or the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, emerged out of a Christian vision for the world. We celebrate here in July NAIDOC week, which is a celebration of indigenous culture within Australia. That was started by a Christian indigenous leader, William Cooper, and believe it or not but I learned this quite recently, aspects of occupational health and safety, you know, that thing that we roll our eyes at at work, that actually came from Christian thinkers, believe it or not. So in other words, out of the tomb of Jesus, new creation has already started. It isn't all in the future, but rather in and through Jesus' defeat of death, he is ushering a new world where he is already king. Now, there's this tension, there's this overlap. God's future isn't fully here in the present yet, because then it would just be called the present. All right. But at the same time, in Jesus, he does reign as king currently, right now. He has already defeated death. It might not be a great analogy, but it's the only analogy I can think of. And uh, the reason why I'm using. kind of America's analogy is because we're a little bit different with our politics here. When we have a new prime minister, it happens rather quickly. But in America, a president will get elected, but then it takes something like two to three months before that president becomes the president. And so there's this overlap. And so what you find in that time period is that the government of that country will be working very hard to try to match the newfound reality that they find themselves in. Likewise, Jesus has risen again from the dead. There is still a future ahead, but he has risen again from the dead. And so too are we to be a people. So too are we to be a community. So too are we to be the church who learns to match that future reality to come. We be forgiveness people now because forgiveness is God's future. We be justice people now because justice will be God's complete future. Feed people in the here and the now because one day all will be fed. Living God's future in the here and in the now. But we can forget that Jesus reigns. But the good news is that Jesus does reign and is the Prince of Peace, which leads us to today's text. Now, I apologize. I did not put it on the screen. If you do have a Bible or a phone, have a look. Or just listen, because sometimes it can be just nice just to imagine the scene here. It's John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. And it reads, When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet come to believe. Last week I mentioned in the gospel reading that Mary was at the tomb crying. And when she saw the risen Lord, she was so overwhelmed with joy. She embodied the grief. And she witnessed the joy of resurrection. She then went, as it says in verse 18, to actually tell the other disciples that Jesus had risen. Now, what's interesting then is that it tells us that Mary, who had seen the risen Lord first, had already gone to the disciples with the good news. So the fact that they were hiding means that they didn't believe her. Unfortunately, this is not a surprise in the first century. It's an unfortunate fact of history that women's testimonies were just not considered valid. Which, by the way, as a side note, actually gives more historical credence to the Gospels, who, if they were making up the Christian faith, why mention women were the first people to discover the tomb? Anyway, that's a whole other side note. So it's an unfortunate reality they didn't believe her. And yet, anybody telling the disciples anyone telling the disciples that Jesus had rose again from the dead was far-fetched to believe. No one was expecting that Jesus would die and then rise again from the dead. And yet, as I said before, John once again insists in this verse, in verse 19, that this was the first day of the new week. That when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, that's what John says. Once again, speaking of new creation. And so, the world then is currently in a new state with a new ruler who has conquered the tyranny of death. But as we see in this scene, the disciples are still living in fear, fear for their lives, as they probably thought, they killed Jesus, they're probably going to get us next. On a deeper level, their fear is located in a belief, in a view of the world where Jesus has died. However, Jesus comes amongst them with the good news. Peace be with you. We ourselves can sometimes live in a state of fear, of living out of a view of the cosmos that is fearful. What's going to happen next? Where's it all going? We can live behind locked doors, so to speak. Because even though we might have heard of Jesus' resurrection in this story, for example, them via Mary, we have not yet had this experience, this experiential, this existential experience of the risen Jesus via Jesus saying to them, peace be with you. And perhaps for him to say to us today, peace be with us. This is why faith is sometimes not an easy thing. Trusting that this story is the true reality without Jesus being right there in front of us, it's not quite easy. Perhaps this is why in the last verse, you have Jesus saying to Thomas, blessed are those who have not yet seen, who have not seen and yet believe. Maybe it's an acknowledgement for people like you and me who don't actually get to have this type of intimate experience. And as such, unless we remind our hearts, unless we intentionally contemplate on Jesus' resurrection, Him as the current reign, as the Prince of Peace, ushering in a new creation with the future one day coming, that we ourselves can live out of a worldview of fear, even though new creation is already dawned around us. Sometimes we got to catch up to what is already true, like that of the disciples. We have to find ways to make this true more experientially to us, to find our own ways to touch the wounds and hear the words of peace that Jesus speaks, whether that comes through prayer or contemplation. Like that of the first Christians in the middle of persecution, I'm reminded by the letter that the Apostle Paul sent from prison in Philippi. He said this to the Philippians, that the peace of God would surpass all understanding, all logic, all circumstances. Why? There is a new king who is already on the throne. And he calls them into this deep contemplation in that section of Scripture. You know, when I went to America about nine years ago, when I landed in America, I was super tired. You know why? Different time zone. I had to, when I landed, it was almost like my body had to learn to readjust to the newfound reality that I'd found myself in. I've been transported to a new place and a new different time zone. I hope that serves as an analogy that perhaps we need to find ways ourselves to catch up with what is already true around us. That is Jesus, who is currently reigning as the Prince of Peace. And so in this scene, Jesus is now in their midst. And like Jesus didn't rebuke the tears of Mary, as we read last week, Jesus didn't rebuke their fear. Like God saying throughout Hebrew Scriptures, do not be afraid, not as a rebuke, but as a hopeful command. We too can hear this spoken positively over us in the person of Jesus. Peace be with you. Jesus also says it three times in this scene. When anything in Jewish scriptures says something more than once, it's a wink and a nudge to us years ago really concentrate on that. If Jesus said, peace be with you, three times, it must have been very important for the disciples and as such to us. The implication is that Jesus is emphasizing the healing words of peace. That he took this common Jewish greeting, peace be with you, and bought, and, and used it to light up a whole new world in them. That they didn't have to fear. They didn't have to live in the reality that they believed in where Jesus wasn't risen again. But rather, Jesus in their midst stills their fears and says, peace be with you. You know, it's one thing to have inner peace cultivated through good practices such as mindfulness and contemplation, which, by the way, as a therapist, I'm all for. However, it's another beautiful thing ...for that inner peace to actually be congruent with what is actually true of the world around us. The reign of the Prince of Peace. If the story of this world does end in chaos... ...and does end in destruction... ...and does end in pain... ...rather than that of new creation and hope and resurrection... ...that means that when we do inner peace cultivation... We're doing it to only counter what's true about the world around us, which, on that view of reality, is very dismal. To be at peace despite where the world is heading. But the story of the resurrected Prince of Peace says that we can look up and see that, yes, in a world of madness, yes, of course, in a world of war, of violence, that those things, though extremely bad, they are, in some sense, In a scandalous way, and it is scandalous to say this, they are in some sense the fading away shadow side to reality. That's not to minimize what's happening, of course. That there is war and chaos and madness in this world. And they are bad. And they are real. And they kill. And they do destroy. Though they are heading towards defeat. They are the shadow side to this reality against the backdrop of what is actually true. Jesus and the shalom peace of new creation. It can be hard to hear these words though. It can be hard to hear peace be with you in today's world. There is violence in this world. Just last Sunday as we were joyfully celebrating the resurrection... There were bombings, of course, in Sri Lanka that killed so many people. I was at a dawn service on Thursday, an Anzac Day, and I was once again reminded of the pain and the loss and the grief of war, of violence, of death. And of course, perhaps in your own life, you might have your own crises. You might have your own concerns. You might be worried if you can get food on the table next week. You might be worried about that diagnosis. You might be worried about your career path. You might be worried about how you're going to get food on the table. Such reign of the Prince of Peace is not said to bury our heads in the ground amidst these realities, but that we can hear Jesus' words of peace even when these realities do occur. Between Jesus' accomplishment as the Prince of Peace rising again from the dead and Jesus' full implementation of that peace when he returns, we will still have a lot of chaos. This is where we don't just receive the words of the Prince of Peace for ourselves, but that when we receive the words of the Prince of Peace, we then be people of peace into the world. To get God's peace into our own life. Yes and amen. To then go out into the world and be peacemakers. Perhaps the person next to us who is concerned, who is worried, who is fearful. Perhaps the person next to us wouldn't have to live in fear of having a next meal if we embodied this peace. For then we as a community might help that family. Perhaps our society and maybe even us wouldn't have to live in fear of those different to us if we as a community spoke up about to both society and to ourselves, about how those who seem so different to us, well, we actually share a common humanity. Perhaps some of the fears that are in our world can be met with peace if we learned more and more of the ways that make for peace embodied in the actions of the Prince of Peace. Which brings us to what Jesus then does next. He gives them the peace and then he says to the disciples and therefore to you and to I to receive the Holy Spirit. I love the imagery here. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's another throwback to creation. When, when God did his creation, he created Adam. This poetic picture of God creating the world. He created this human called Adam. And he breathed into his nostrils to give him life. In order then for Adam to co-rule under God's wise and loving rule. For humanity to co-rule under God's wise and loving guidance. And now a new creation. We're given the breath of life to co-rule with Christ under Jesus' wise and loving rule. And that scary task includes includes this commission that he gives them. It's a very scary verse to read. I don't know about you, but that idea that we are given the ministry of forgiveness and also the ministry of retaining sins, what the heck does that mean? (laughs) Surely only God can forgive. That is true. Only God can forgive. Any good Jewish disciple here in this would have known that. So this isn't so much that we are doing the ultimate forgiving work, but rather God is commissioning us to forgive through us. That God is using us to be his hands and feet of forgiveness. We say the forgiving words as if God is speaking through us. Think of it as like a wave at the beach. If you want to go surfing, do you make the wave? No, we just surf the wave. Or think of it like a script of a play. We don't write the drama, we just act it out. Likewise, we surf the wave and act in the drama of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. And God's setting right judgment into the world. Because that's the next tricky bit. There's that bit of scripture that says, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The Greek word there could mean to hold, as if to hold something. You, see, you could say in this commission that it's about holding out particular sin, to expose evil in the world, to name sin in the world. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this of this section where it talks about retaining sins. He says, to retain sins means to warn the world that sin is serious a deadly disease, and to remain in it will bring death. As a parent will not rest until the last traces of a disease has been removed from a child, so God will not tolerate a disease of sin in his new creation. This isn't, by the way, because I've heard preachers use this text and they've used it very terribly, this isn't to psychologically manipulate and say to such people that God doesn't love them and I'm therefore retaining sin. This isn't to say that you can just hurt people with your words. The whole point of having the Holy Spirit breathed on us as we do this is that we need the Spirit's guidance as we do this. The whole point of being a follower of Jesus is that we do it guided by the Holy Spirit, God's self. A God who is revealed in the person of Jesus to be a God of love. But as we see in Jesus, he does confront. He does expose evils. To be this type of person as we go out into the world, announcing both God's forgiving love and also God's rejection of anything that would seek to destroy all that God loves. To not overcomplicate this, we're called to be like Jesus. A Jesus who both forgives and also names and exposes evils in the world, which is a scary task. It is a scary commission. We are to embody God's forgiveness to the world and embody God's good type of setting right judgments into the world to to name evil and expose it, and that's scary. My friends, that takes wisdom. It takes deep discernment. And sometimes we will screw up, and that's, that's hard for us to admit. We have sometimes named and shamed things we really shouldn't have named and shamed. And sometimes we've been silent on things we should have really been naming and shaming. Recently, we've had the sexual abuse scandal within the Catholic Church, and this isn't just about the Catholic Church. What would it mean if we actually would be a people we would actually be willing to name and expose evils in the world rather than try to cover them up. Sometimes we really don't show well that we are a forgiving people. And this is why today, more than ever in the church, globally at large, we are called That we, we are called to have the fresh breath of the Holy Spirit to inform us and shape us more into people who go into the world with the heartbeat of Jesus and to be to the world what Jesus is to us. So we are given peace. And then we are given a commission on the far side of that peace. But sometimes living in that new world is a struggle. We struggle to believe in new creation. And so we enter into Thomas. Thomas wasn't there when the, when the disciples originally saw Jesus. I'm not sure if you picked that up in the reading of the passage. He wasn't there when Jesus first, first came to see the disciples. And as such, he heard the disciples telling them about, um, about Jesus, but he struggled to believe. You know, when Thomas is asking to see and touch Jesus here in his wounds, he's often critiqued as a bad example. But I don't know about you, but I'm kind of with Thomas here. It's far-fetched to sometimes believe in the risen Jesus because it is scandalous. It is scandalous and to translate the exchange between Jesus and his in disciples into the here and the now, if you've been hurt by churches, if you've been at the perils and horrors of life, it can sometimes be difficult to believe that Jesus is alive and is reigning. And so what I love about Jesus coming to Thomas is that when Thomas asks to put his hands into the wounds, Jesus doesn't say, you can't touch me, Thomas. You should just be believing. Rather, the risen Jesus comes in halfway, allows Thomas with doubts and all to touch him first, to inquire first, And then, and only then, says, stop doubting and believe. It's in the context of Thomas inquiring. It's in the context of Thomas wrestling with what the disciples were telling him. It's in that context. It's in the context of himself being unsure that Jesus gives space and allows for this to be. Jesus didn't say, just believe without Thomas's angst or wrestling and in the end, his request, but against the backdrop of this. Jesus doesn't critique faithful questioning or inquiring of himself. Jesus welcomes it. After all, if it was so wrong, Jesus wouldn't have allowed Thomas to do it. And so it's within that context what I think is meant by Jesus then saying, stop doubting and believe. It's that on the far side of a welcomed wrestling, on the far side of a welcomed inquiry, it's on the far side of that welcome questioning that I think we do eventually have to get on with it. That might sound a bit harsh, but let me explain what I mean. You see, in the context of this passage is that Mary told G, um told them, that G, the man that Jesus had risen again from the dead. And they struggled to believe her. And guess what it took? It took the risen Jesus, letting the disciples know. And by letting the disciples touch his body. It's not just Thomas who gets to touch the body. If you remember that opening scene, the disciples did as well. It took them touching and feeling for their fears to be stilled. And only in that context does then Jesus give them the mission of enacting God's kingdom in the world. And so it's within the context of faith being restored in a risen Jesus, a Jesus that they just couldn't hear about but had to touch, that the disciples were then commissioned. The key thing that happened after Jesus has allowed the disciples to touch his sides is that they were commissioned. And so it's fair to say then that after Thomas had felt Jesus' side, that Jesus is essentially saying when he says stop doubting and believe, he's essentially saying this. Okay, you know I'm alive now. Let's stop the fumbling. Trust me and get on with the mission that I have given you. That's what I believe is going on here. It's not a critique against healthy inquiry or questioning. But rather it's saying, all right, you feel it now? Stop fumbling around. Come on, get on with the mission. Get on with the mission. Get on with the mission. Can I have the band come up? Thank you. Look, maybe you're still on the point of the journey where you need to feel the wounds of Jesus. That's okay. Because feeling the wounds are part of the journey. Though I will also say, maybe today, and this may be you, maybe today you need to know that you're never going to have all the answers. But what you can do is now is trust in the midst of not knowing absolutely everything. And in trust, to get on with living Jesus' love into the world, to embody forgiveness and to embody peace. Because remember, we aren't called to certainty. By the way, certainty doesn't exist in any worldview. I've had people say to me, well, I can only believe in God if I 100% absolutely prove God exists. Those same people can't believe that they're not in a dream, that fact fat dog is just dreaming up. <laughs> At the baseline level, we all trust a particular version of reality. We can never be 100% certain about anything. Though neither are we call to be stagnant forever, In a private whirlpool in your mind, constantly tossed to and throw by this idea and this theory and that belief, in a state of never-ending unsureness. Trust me, I've been there. It's not fun. It really isn't. I know in my life at some point, I just had to come to the point where I realized that, yes, there were all these Christian books on this side that talked about the historicity of the Christian faith, and there were plenty on this side that rubbished it. And at some point, I just had to come to terms like they're both really intelligent people with scholars and PhDs and everything. At some point, I just had to go, which story am I going to lean into? Which story am I going to trust in? Which version of reality do i going to believe is the true and authentic and confident one and obviously i picked that side like i said you might be on the path of the journey that needs to fill the wounds and for some people that means a different thing i have a friend who's super intellectual right and even though i don't believe faith is just intellectual exercise i know for, to meet him where he's at he does have to read an 800-page thesis on why the resurrection is a valid historical explanation for the existence of Christianity. He does have to read that. and That's fine. But at some point, it has to go beyond the cognitive answers. It has to enter into a realm of trust, not blind faith or uncritical faith or unquestioning faith. Like I said, we have the inquiry. But that of trust. Because there's no such thing as certainty in any worldview, But there is such thing as trusting. What story of reality are we going to trust in today? Are we going to trust in the story of a Jesus who was ushered in a new creation? I'm trusting in that story. Which is not easy. Perhaps this is also why Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet believed, because he knows how much harder it is for us. Thomas gets to touch and see the wounds. The disciples get to touch and see the wounds. We don't. We have to go the long way around. Who knows? Maybe Jesus is literally saying, essentially saying, you know, kudos to you guys. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. But on the far side of this trust, on the far side of receiving the peace and being commissioned and leaning into a trusting version of this story of a resurrected Jesus, is Jesus not only looking to Thomas and the other disciples, but also looking to us and saying, all right, come on, let's get on with it. For now, we have seen the Prince of Peace for who he is. And he will one day usher a world of peace as he in some sense already has, and is, and will one day do. And so we have been commissioned, the breath of God in us, to go into the world and embody the forgiveness of God and also calling out evil when we see it. And maybe in doing so, maybe, just maybe, we can be the hands and feet of Jesus into the world's Thomases that they so desperately need to see and touch that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus into the world, that they can see God's good works through us, that they can see the kingdom moving, and perhaps one day themselves exclaiming, as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. I'll end with this quote. There was a pastor, sorry, not a pastor, a podcaster, an author, by the name of Mike Maharg, who says this, Never let your faith allow you to take a step of distance and say only God does the loving because that's a disembodied faith. For if you believe in an empty tomb, then your job is to love your neighbor, not merely say that God does. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts today that we might see that you are indeed risen again from the dead. And that, Lord, we, we know there's an overlap of the ages. We know that there is a future that's coming that has already broken forth. And we also know that the current age of death and decay and evil in the world that is still real, we, we, want, to, we want to be reminded again that that's the shadow side, that though very real and very true, it's fading. And, Lord, let us be reminded of the scandalous truth that you have risen again, That you have said to us, peace be with you. Lord, may we be a people who first can hear your peace today. And perhaps that's what we just need right now. Lord, let us hear the words of your peace in the midst of our own struggles, in the midst of our own circumstances. I pray right now that peace fall upon every single person in this place, Lord peace be with us, peace be with us, peace be with you, peace be with you. And I also feel led to pray right now that to take seriously the embodying of forgiveness, that if you're somebody in this place who is struggling and you believe that God doesn't forgive you, let we as a community tell you today that God forgives you that God loves you. Peace be with you. God's forgiveness and blessing over you. Holy Spirit, I pray that we be a people who today, in hearing the words of peace and hearing the words of forgiving love, that we can go out into the world with that great commission, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that right now, speak over every single person in this place. Speak right now to them. How do you want them to uniquely embody that commission? Speak to us. We're listening. Speak. Holy Spirit, help us to trust you. Help us to know it's also okay to ask questions and inquire. Help us to trust you in the midst of that, that inquiry and those questions. Lord, have your will today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Deeper and Wider. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe and share far and wide. If you want to get to know me, then follow me on Instagram at Nathan Forster, or look me up at NathanForster.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.